monotone. We got to preach. Um, so be prepared for that. And I'll preach better if you respond better. Uh, so let's turn to Acts 3 and verse 19. And we're going to start there. And we're going to continue this series about revival starts with me. Everybody, just grab your hand right here, put it up in the air, and point at yourself. And everybody say this with me. Revival starts with me. Again, revival starts with me. One more time. Revival starts with me. Okay, let's get started here. Acts 3 and verse 19 in the New King James Version. It says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Notice this is our key verse for this series about revival starts with me. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now I think you guys have that Weymouth translation of this also. Notice in the Weymouth translation it says, Repent therefore and reform your lives so that the record of your sins may be canceled and that there may come seasons of revival from the Lord. Seasons of revival from the Lord. So we're going to continue today talking about revival starts with me. And I want to title today's message. It's going to be a little bit different, but you're going to understand as we get going. Today's title of the message is New Wine, New Power. New Wine, New Power. And that's what we're going to talk about today. New Wine and New Power. Now we've been talking about revival. We started last week talking about what God wants to do in your life, in my life. And realizing revival starts with me. We hear about revivals. We've heard about them, especially in this church. Uh, this church knows a lot about the history of revivals in this country and around the world. Because it's been talked about for 30 years. We're a church who believes in that. We believe in revival and we, we know what God has done in the past. But the, the good news is God always saves the best for last. And it's awesome what God did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. That was revival. But God saves the best for last. And it's been prophesied that the end time revival, which I don't know where we're living, but we're definitely living in the end time revival. We're as far along as we've ever been in the human history. So I would say it's the end time revival. It's been prophesied that every revival would be rolled up into one. And that God would do something new and fresh before he comes back because he's all about seeing people saved. He, he wants everyone to have a chance, an opportunity to know him before he comes back. And I believe that, that God wants to save the best for last. Anybody else believe that? And so we realize that revivals have happened all throughout human history, but revivals still happen today. A lot of times we don't see them as much, especially in America. For a lot of reasons, and we talked about that some last week, there's a lot of reasons why Americans don't see revival that other countries do. A lot of it has to do with they don't have the same hunger other people do. They don't have the same desperation. You remember some of these words last week? They don't have the same desire that other people do. They don't have the same humility that people all around the world do. So they see a different move of God over there than we do in the United States because we don't have that same hunger and desire and desperation and humility for God in our lives like people that live other places do. Now that doesn't mean we have to be that way. I'm just saying that's the way it's been as a whole in this country. 
But if we want to see revival, there's some words that come up every time. And we just said a couple of those. In studying revival, you see these words come up. Desire, desperation, humility, and hunger. Desire, desperation, humility, and hunger. You see that every time you read about revival throughout history books, if you look up quotes about revival, those are the four words that come up constantly. Hunger, humility, desire, desperation. Because those are all keys to revival. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Don't say it out loud. But does that look like your spiritual life with God? Because that could be the answer why you don't have revival or you do have revival. That could be the answer for our church whether we have revival or not. Now why does God do things special at conferences and camps and certain events like that and it doesn't seem like he does it every Sunday? It's not that he doesn't want to do it every Sunday, but what's the difference? When you go to a camp or a conference or an event like that, you go into it hungry, desirous, desperate. Going into the conference or the camp with an attitude of humility, and that's why you get so much out of it, and that's why it impacts so many people because you go into it with the right heart and the right attitude. But it's usually a different way you come into a weekly service because it can get the same old, same old. It can get mundane. It could be, yeah, we, this is what we do. We come to church, and this is, this is how we do things. We sing a couple songs, and we do praise and worship, and then somebody preaches. It's the same old, same old every week. Now, if you come in with that attitude, that's what you're going to get, including myself. Because there's no hunger, there's no humility, there's no desire, there's no desperation for what God wants to do. Because God wants to do something, but he's waiting on somebody to cooperate with him, to be a co-laborer with him, to work together with him. God is waiting on us. Now the reason we titled this Revival Starts With Me is this. If revival doesn't start with you, who does it start with? Who does it start with? Me? The staff? People that pray? The worship team? Who does it start with? You know what that is? It's not taking responsibility for your own spiritual life. And so this is what we're doing. I'm blaming it on the worship team. The worship team is blaming it on me. Or let's blame the staff. Or let's blame the quarry group. Or let's blame the elementary age. Or let's blame somebody else in church. No, revival starts with me. With me. Anybody believe that about yourself? Point at yourself again. Revival starts with me. If it doesn't start with you, who does it start with? Who does it start with? And you know what ends up happening? If revival doesn't start with you, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life on God to do something in your life, and he's not. You're going to be waiting the rest of your life, waiting for God to move in your life, and he's not. You're going to be wait the rest of your life waiting on a pastor or a church or the excited person at church to get you into revival, and it's not going to happen. Why? Because revival starts with me. And now revival only takes place in the church when every person in the church has that same attitude, has that same mindset that revival starts with me. I'm not waiting on somebody to pump me up. I'm not waiting on the preacher or the worship team. I came ready because revival starts with me 
And if nobody else wants to respond in worship, I'm going to respond. And if nobody else wants to pray for service, I'm going to pray. And if nobody else wants to uh, encourage the preacher, I'm going to encourage him. And if nobody else wants God in here, I want God in my life. Are you here in this Pentecostal church? Because revival starts with me. And we'll be waiting the rest of your life for God to do something, and he won't. Trust me, so many believers do that because they have wrong theology about what God wants to do. If you're waiting on him, you'll be waiting forever. Because he's already done all he's going to do. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on me. He's waiting on somebody to respond to him. We're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us to wake up and respond to him, and that's when he moves. But see, wrong theology will tell you that we got to wait on God. But no, God's waiting on us. God's waiting on us to respond because revival starts with me. Stop waiting on other people. Stop waiting on God because revival starts with you. And then a lot of people will get to the end of their life and wonder why nothing happened. God didn't do anything. God didn't move. God didn't save my school. God didn't move on my job. God didn't do this and that. Yeah, he didn't because you didn't. You have to respond to him. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying today? I'm feeling this already. You have to respond to him because he's waiting on you. And realize, if we realize what revival meant to our lives, it would change how we live. Out of your spiritual life comes the rest of your life. That's why revival is important. Many of you say, I don't have time for revival. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for those services that are wild and people are running and taking laps and praying in tongues and all sorts sorts of stuff has happened. No, that's not just revival. That could be revival, but that's not only revival. But if you realize that out of your spiritual life comes the rest of your life, you would want revival. That making your spiritual life the priority is the only thing that works, is the only way that you can live, is if your spiritual life is number one. That's why you need revival in your life. Because you don't realize the lack of revival is the way your life is the way it is right now. Because out of your spiritual life flows every other part of your life. And we need God's presence in His reviving. There's one person. Anybody else? <laughs> okay. We need God's reviving. I'm going to say this before we, we go into uh, this new stuff we want to talk about today. And it's this. Revival is for the church. Now hear what I'm saying today. We're going to explain this to you. Revival, we said this last week, is for the church. It's for believers. So what happens when revival comes... God revives the church so that they can go fulfill the mission and the plan of God. But it's for the church, so it happens. Notice, revive, meaning you were once alive. You were once alive, but your spiritual life has gone stagnant, has gone dormant, has become dead. 
and what happens? God has to revive his church. And that's what revival is. God revives his church. The people that were once alive, that were once praising God, that were once worshiping, that were once living for God, that were once, they were all about church, they were all about God, they were all about the Bible, they couldn't help but tell other people. Those people that have become stagnant and dormant and crusty, God has to revive them, and that's what revival is. Because a lot of people are on spiritual life support. And God needs to come into his church and he revives us and he wakes us up and he revives his church that were once alive. And he revives those who used to be alive and brings them alive again so they can fulfill the mission and the plan of God. But notice what it's for. It's not just for you. Revival starts in you, but it's not about you. Revival starts with you, but it's not just for you. Because why does God revive his church? For other people. He doesn't revive you just so you feel good. That's part of it. But God revives you so you will go outside the four walls of the church and help somebody else. That's why he revives you, because he cares about other people, because he cares about what happens outside the four walls of the church, because he realized there's billions and billions of people that don't know him, so he has to revive his church to get out there and do the work of God, do the mission of God, fulfill the plan of God, and that's why he revives us. It's not just so we have goosebumps. Come on, I'm feeling this today. It's not just we have goosebumps. Now, I am a 31-year-old Pentecostal. I came out of the womb praying in tongues. I'm Pentecostal. I'm charismatic. I'm not ashamed of that. But let me tell you the other side of it. Pentecostals and charismatics talk a lot about what God does in church. But if it doesn't go beyond those four walls of the church, it was pointless Are you hearing me today? Now, I get down with the best of you. But what I've noticed, let me just be honest, in 31 years, I've seen a lot of people buck and shout and flip on the floor like a fish and go live completely different Monday through Saturday. Then what happened here was a show, and it was pointless. Now, I'm not saying don't respond, but if you go to respond, let that, what God did right there, carry you outside the four walls of the church because that's why he did it in your life. Not so you would just have goosebumps and feel like warm honey came over you. That's not just for you. It's so God wants to do something in you so you can do something in somebody else's life. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying today? So I'm for all that. But there has to be a point and a purpose for it, or it's pointless. Because, yes, all those things happen, and you know you feel good. You feel spiritually high when you're jumping and you're dancing. When somebody lays hands on you, and you feel the presence of God. Services that you're laughing and you're crying. Those are all important, and I believe you can feel God. But if it doesn't go beyond that, there's no point. It's just to make you feel better. 
Don't get me wrong. I believe in it, but it's for a purpose. Why does he revive you? Why does God touch you? Why does God minister to you? It's not just for you. Because God knows if I touch them, if I minister to them, not only are they going to get healed and delivered and set free, but they're going to go out and help somebody else. That's what it's for. He revives his church to fulfill the mission and the plan of God. Come on, are you here today? I believe you're with me this morning. So we're going to kind of shift gears here to talk about new wine and new power. New wine and new power. So let's look at Mark 2 and verse 22. Mark 2 and verse 22. So we're talking about new wine, new power on the subject of revival. This is Jesus speaking and he gives this parable. Mark 2 and 22, he says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the skins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into a new wineskin. Now we're going to talk about that for a moment because we're talking about new wine and new power. Now we see in the Bible that wine is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Wine is symbolic of the presence of God. When it talks about wine in the Bible, it's always a symbol and type of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. So he talks about new wine into new wineskins. New wine into new wineskins. But there's also another principle in the Bible. Not only that the wine is symbolic for the Holy Spirit of the presence of God, but the Bible talks a lot about vessels. The Bible mentions that we are vessels, that he is the potter and we are the clay. In the New Testament, it says we have this treasure, which is the Holy Spirit, in earthly vessels. That's our body. He's saying that our body is the vessel that houses the Holy Spirit. Another place in the New Testament says there's vessels of honor and there's vessels of dishonor. But we see that we as human beings, as people that God created, are vessels. And something about a vessel is this. Vessels are meant to be filled. Vessels are meant to be filled. Now we have a vessel right here. Now you realize, back when Jesus was saying this, there was no Hobby Lobby. You can laugh. There was no Walmart. There was no Target. And if they had a vessel in that time, it wasn't for decor. You follow me? It wasn't so it could sit empty on a cabinet. Oh, my gosh. Joanna Gaines' new vessel. Vessels in that time were not for decor. They weren't to be put on a cabinet or a shelf or in your house to be empty. In the times and days that Jesus lived, when they made a vessel, they made it to be filled. It wasn't there just for show. It was meant to be filled with something. Now, we are those vessels. Our body is the vessel 
And God says that we are meant to be filled. And if you're not filled with him, you're still going to be filled with something else. Now look at your neighbor and say, you're full of it. So if you're not full of God, oh, you're still full of it. Just not God. We won't fill in the blank of what you're full of. But you're full of it. Just not God. Because vessels, once again, are you hearing me? Vessels are meant to be filled. And we as people created in God's image are meant to be filled with him, with God. But if we're not filled with him, we're going to be filled with something else. So this passage in Mark 22, or Mark 20, 22, let's read it again, is about God filling vessels. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. A wineskin is a vessel. Or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Let's keep it up there. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So who's the vessel? We are. But God wants to fill us with himself. Now once again, what is wine symbolic of? The Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And in those times, not only did they have you know, pots or, or vases that were made out of um, clay or other things like that, they would have wineskins. Now, wineskins was something that was made out of animals. And it was sewed together, and it was so that they could carry the grape juice or the wine just like it was in a bottle. But, of course, they didn't have bottles back then. They didn't have things to carry wine in like that. So they would carry it in a wine skin, which was a sheep or an animal skin they sewed together. And that was the vessel that they put wine into. Now there's a reason that we're reading about this today because he says you can't put new wine in an old wine skin. You have to get a new wine skin if you want new wine. This passage is so powerful and I'm going to tell you why. Because we're talking about revival, remember? We're talking about revival and God filling us because we are the vessel. We are the wineskin. And God's spirit or his presence is the wine and he wants to pour into our life. Because wineskins, when they got older, they became hard and brittle. They became unflexible. We could say they became not open to change. But when there was a new wineskin, it was soft. It was tender. It was flexible. It was open to change. And so that's why he says, I can't pour new wine into an old wineskin because if I do, it's so brittle. It's so hard. It's so non-flexible and unchanging that if I poured it in, it would not only ruin the wineskin, it would ruin the wine. Because it would be a waste. So I have to have a new wineskin to put new wine in. Now what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about something that was happening in that present day, but it's also a principle for us today. Now the context of what Jesus was saying was Jesus came on the scene and he was new wine. 
But the religious people of that day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were old wineskins. They had become hard. They had become brittle. They had become unflexible. They had become unchangeable. And he couldn't pour in the new wine because they wouldn't change. And he says, you're going to have to have a new wineskin if you want some new wine. But the principle is the same for us today. If we want something new from God, something fresh from God, we have to have a new wineskin to receive the new wine. Now, you don't have to answer this out loud, but analyze yourself. Is your vessel become hard and brittle and unflexible and unchanging? Because if it has, God will not pour in new wine into something old. Now, when I say old, I'm not talking about your age. I'm talking about your attitude. Because you can be 90 years old with a new wineskin and new wine. And you could be 20 years old with an old wineskin and a bad attitude. It all has to do with your heart and in your attitude. And how quickly can you change your wineskin? As quickly as you change your attitude. As quickly as you change your heart. And then God will pour in new wine to a new wineskin. Why? Because if you pour something old, it's going to ruin you and it's going to ruin his anointing. So he won't do it. How do denominations end up where they are? At one time, they had new wine and a new wineskin. But what happened? Years passed, and they got mundane, and they got satisfied, and they became dead, and they became brittle, and they became unflexible, and I don't want to change, and we've always done church this way, so this is the way it always should be. And they were dead, and they didn't even realize it. And God said, I can't pour something new into an old wineskin. That's why denominations all around the world, and there's exceptions to this, are dying. Because they're an old wineskin, and God will not pour something new into something that's old. Come on, are you picking up what I'm laying down today? But it's not a matter of age. It's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your attitude. That's what he's saying. Don't be an old wineskin. Don't become unchangeable and unflexible and hard-hearted towards the things of God. Because if you're like that, God won't do anything in your life. And you'll blame God and you'll blame other people. But it's nobody else's fault but you. I just want to clear this water. Come on, is it the truth today? You know it is. Whose choice is that? Ours. And so Jesus was talking about that day. The religious people of that day were old wineskins. And that's why they didn't get it. Have you read the Gospels? They didn't get it. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. It went right over their head. Why? Because they were so unchanging. So not flexible, hard-hearted towards God. God was trying to pour something new. But they couldn't receive it because they were an old wineskin. And Jesus says, if you want to receive something new, the presence of God, a new refreshing of the Holy Spirit, you've got to be a new wineskin. And that's a matter, a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your attitude. It's a matter of what you desire. That's how you become a new wineskin. You've got to be soft and tender towards God. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be open to change. Are you hearing me, church family? you got to be open to change. We always did it this way. 
We always did it this way. It could have worked for that season, and that was a new wineskin, but that's an old wineskin now. We're changing it. We always sang hymns. Why are we singing these new songs? Time for change. Be open for change. Listen, if God ministers, and he's ministering through a, a banjo player with two teeth, I'm going to say, I'm a new wineskin. If he wants to come in with a hip-hop guy, I'm a new wineskin. It's not about me. I'd rather get in on what God is doing than keep my crusty old attitude and not receive from God. Now, trust me, I wouldn't let a, two, a two-toothed banjo player on the platform, but we're just saying. you got to be open to change. Some of you guys are freaking out about this light right here. Why do they have a colored light in here? Okay, we left all the rest of the lights on for you. You're okay. You're all right. It's all right. The music is too loud. It's okay. It's all right. Sit a little bit closer to the back. It's not getting any um, softer. So we could be an old wineskin and wonder why God's not moving. It's not on his side. We have to be a new wineskin for God to pour in new wine. And it's interesting in that passage, he says, I won't pour new wine into an old wineskin because it will ruin the person and it will ruin the anointing. He says, I won't do it until you change, until you change your heart. Until you change your attitude, until you become flexible and soft and tender towards God, and you're open to change what He wants you to change. Now, once again, God's not going to tell you to change something that goes against Scripture. Are you hearing me today? But I'm saying if God tells you something and it aligns with Scripture and it aligns with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, change it. Be flexible, be soft, be tender towards God. Those are people who have revival in their life. New wine in a new wineskin. But it comes from a new heart and a new attitude. Now, you know I'm joking around with you, right? Because really, the past several years, all of you have been so supportive of any change we've ever made. But I'm just saying, it can happen to all of us. Once again, I'm an old church soul, so I'm about 65 years old spiritually wise. Because I've seen a lot of church. I've been in a lot of church, so I can even be that way. Why do we need to change that? I like that. But we always need to be open to what God wants for us. A new wine in a new wineskin. Let's read in John 2 and verse 1. You guys still here? New wine in a new wineskin. New heart, new attitude. John 2 and verse 1. This is one of the first miracles of Jesus. John 2 and verse 1, it says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come yet. Now we're just going to give Mary a pass right here, mothers. 
for not slapping the mess out of Jesus. Okay. She must have, it must have been one of those timeout days instead of spanking days because any good mother would have slapped Jesus right there. But she understood. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And now there were a set there of six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. Come on, he just preached right there. And this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory in his disciples. So I want to talk a little bit further about new wine into new wineskins. In the passage we just read, the wineskins were the vessel. But in this passage, these big water pots were the vessels that was being filled. Because vessels are meant to be filled. And so we see what happens in this passage is Jesus and Mary go to this wedding, and weddings in those days lasted for weeks at a time. And they were running out of wine. And in that day, if you ran out of food or wine or things like that for your guests, you would feel so ashamed. It was a big deal. And the mother of Jesus told Jesus, hey, could you do something about this? Now, up to this point, the reason he said that to his mother, he hadn't done a miracle yet. Jesus was 30 years old and he hadn't done any miracles yet. This was his first one. But notice Mary, knowing Jesus, said, whatever he says to do, do it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Whatever he says to do, do it. You want new wine in your life? Whatever he says to do, do it. You want the key to revival? Whatever he says to do, do it. It might embarrass me. Whatever he says to do, do it. I might be persecuted. Whatever he says to do, do it. Other church people might not understand. Whatever he says to do, do it. You want the key to revival? It's that easy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, even knows that. She was like, okay, Jesus, you're a little disrespectful. I'll give you a break because you haven't done a miracle yet. But I know my son And I know he's the son of God, so listen to him. Whatever he says to do, do it. Because if you do what he says, there's going to be new wine. Come on, are you picking up what I'm laying down today? Whatever he says to do, do it. And that is the key to revival. We could give you 12 steps, 15 steps, 20 steps, and we've talked about some of those things. But the number one thing, if you want revival in your life, you want new wine, you want refreshing, you want new wine and a new wineskin, whatever he says to do, do it. Just do it. If you want it, just do it. 
When God tells you to do something, it's only going to help you. It's only going to bless you. It's only going to progress you. It's only going to bring something new into your life. Sometimes we don't see it in the right way. We're like, God, why did you ask me to do that? It's only going to help you. And he knows better because he's God. So he asked the servants, he says, I want you to take all these pots of water. They're filled with water, clean water, not wine. And he says, I want you to take them to the master of ceremonies at the wedding. I want you to take all this water. Those guys could have been killed for that. That's how serious it was. Bringing the master of ceremonies more water saying, hey, Jesus said this is wine. But they went in faith knowing what he said was going to help them, was going to progress them. And whatever he says to do, I'm going to do it. So they took all these huge vases, pots of water to the guy in charge of the wedding. Think about how they probably handed it to him. Because it was water all the way up to the point that he drank it. They were looking down like, oh, still water. Still water. Oh, man, still water. Jesus, when this is going to happen, isn't that the way he does things? You know that old time saying, he's not never, ever early, he's not never late, he's always on time? But he cuts it way too close a lot of times. <laughs> no, Jesus, you were, you were definitely late. I was looking at my clock. You cut it way too close this time. So they're looking at the water. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then he dips it in the water. It's still water. But whatever he says to do, do it. And when they, he tasted it, he said, oh, this just, this just is like regular wine. This is not like extra wine left over. This is not the bottom of the barrel stuff. This is the best stuff. How many know God does it the best? He doesn't do no cheap, barely get by, discounted stuff. He does the best stuff. Come on, we need to start thinking about that as believers. He's not, he's got streets of gold. Why are you trying to always use a coupon everywhere? For goodness sakes. He saves the best for last. And so they, he drank the wine and he goes, oh, this is not cheap wine because that's what they serve at the end. Once everybody has drank for days. This is the good stuff. And so he says, you saved the best wine for last. How many know he's not just talking about wine in this story? He's talking about the day and age we live in today. He saves the best wine for last. Now, it was good a hundred years ago in the Azusa Street Revival, but he saves the best for last. It was good 50 years ago in the healing revival, but he saves the best for last. It was good in the charismatic and the Pentecostal revival, but he saves the best for last. And all throughout church history, yeah, that was awesome what God did, but he saves the best wine for last. Come on, does anybody believe what we're saying this morning? That's for us. 
Come on, I feel this today. I've been watching too much Rod Parsley lately. <laughs> I can't help but getting stirred up. He saves the best for last. And you realize we read the Bible and you see all these people in the Bible like Abraham, like Noah, like David, like Esther, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, even in the New Testament. And we, we read it and we're like, man, I wish I lived when they lived. No, you don't. You don't. And if it was just for air conditioning alone, you don't. <laughs> for a shower in your house, you don't wish that. But I'll tell you more than anything. You don't wish that because the heroes of the faith right now in heaven wish they lived in 2018. They wished it. Isaiah and Jeremiah and David, even Peter, James and John and all these heroes of the faith wish they lived in 2018 because they didn't get it like we get it. And they don't have what we have because he saves the best for last. And that's where we're living in today. The day of new wine. And he saves the best wine for last. Come on, are you receiving this today? Man, I preach myself happy so far. I want to help you realize you are living in the greatest outpouring of God that has ever happened. Wake up to it. Wake up to it. Like the Bible says, He revives the once alive. Wake up to it. That God is doing something. And God is moving. And just because you always don't see it in your life, and you don't see it on, on CNN and Fox, God is still moving. And God is still doing something. And there's people all around the world this morning in revival. And there's hundreds of thousands. And there's millions. And there's even billions of believers all around the world experiencing revival. And God is doing something. And you need to get in on it. Wake up. God wants to pour some new wine into a new wineskin. And guess what the kind of wine he's going to pour? The best. Not leftovers. Not the cheap stuff. He saves the good stuff for us. The good stuff for us. God wants to pour something in our life that's better than anything we can experience, but how do we receive it? we got to be a new wineskin, new heart, new attitude. Soft, flexible, open to change. And when God pours, He pours the best. We're living in the days where God pours the best wine at the end. The good stuff. It's not... Remember the good old days? Hey, this will hit a little bit closer to home. Remember 95, 96, 97, 98? Yeah, I remember. But the good days are today. Come on. 
The good days are today. Not the good old days. God saves the best for last. Now that was good, but God saves the best for last. There's better in the future than anything we have in the past. God saves the best for last. It's not the good old days. No, we're living in the good days. Wake up and see what God is doing. I want to read one last verse and close with you. I appreciate you guys listening today. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Ephesians 5. And verse 18. In the Passion, it says, And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. But instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Some translations say it's reckless living. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I love this verse because he's saying, once again, you're going to be full of something. Don't go to the substitute. Don't go to the substitute because it's only a temporary high. And there's side effects that go with it that are not good. Go to the true source and the true high. And the true wine, which is the Holy Spirit. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I love this. In some translations, really that word be filled means be being filled. How do we stay full of new wine? How do we stay full of God's presence? We have to be being filled. Meaning, when you came to the altar and got the Holy Ghost, that was the first filling, not the last. And that's what a lot of Pentecostals, Charismatics think. Well, I got the Holy Ghost, yeah, once, 25 years ago, but where is he? The scriptures say, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning, every day, the rest of your life, you need new wine. And you know what? Tomorrow, you're going to get empty. And you're going to have to be being filled. And the next day, because you're giving out, you're going to need to be being filled. Not once a time at the altar, you prayed in tongues and you were filled. That's the start, not the finish. You're going to have to be being filled. Be being filled. Because if you're not full of Him, you're going to look for something else to fill you. Whatever it is, you're going to look for something else to fill you. That's why He says, Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one time thing. But how do we continually be filled? We've got to be a new wineskin. If we want new wine to be poured in day, after day, after day. And just like if you stop drinking wine, you stop being drunk. If you stop receiving from the Holy Spirit, you stop being filled. 
and the truth of this verse is that God doesn't want you to live sober anyways. I love the, the Passion Translation. In the notes underneath this verse, it says, Be inebriated with the Spirit's fullness. God doesn't want you to live sober anyways. He just wants you to be high off the right things. And he says, no, you can go to drugs, you can go to girls, you can go to alcohol, you can go to your career, you can go to all this stuff and fill you up. But it's a temporary high that leaves you empty. Or you could be filled with the real thing and be really high, this is too good to be true, on the most high, I had to say it. (laughs) Because it says be inebriated, do you hear that? In the original language, with the Spirit's fullness. So he don't want you to live sober anyways. You just need to be high on the right stuff. Because the other stuff's fake. Now, now here's some symptoms of not being sober. Joy. Laughter. No cares. No worries. Why do people drink? They don't want to think about it. They don't want to care anymore. They want to forget their troubles. They want to laugh. They want to have fun. God wants you to do that, but you're drinking the wrong stuff. Be inebriated. My God, what a word. With the Spirit's fullness. Be being filled continually. So that's what happens. Can anybody testify that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when you come out of that experience, what happens? You're full of joy. You're full of peace. You're full of laughter. Sometimes you're crying and not a sad cry, a happy cry. You come out of there and out of that service, you don't have a care in the world. You're not worried about anything. Why? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you're not living in this place of being sober. But you're inebriated with the Spirit's fullness. You're being filled continually with His fullness. So we got a couple choices. We can let God fill us or we can let other things fill us. But either way, God doesn't want us to live this life not being filled. He just wants us full of the right things. He wants us full of new wine with new power. In a new heart with a new attitude, a new wineskin. And there is no end to his fullness if we have that attitude. Are you hearing me, church family? Whether you're new today or you've been in God 40 years, there's something new for you. There's always more. There's always new. For the rest of eternity, we're going to be finding out new things about God. Because He's God. It's not like you're ever going to get to the place where you arrive. And there's nothing new that God can't pour in. No, there's always going to be something new. God wants to pour new wine into the new wineskin. Did you guys get something today? Come on, let's stand up today. Come on, can the praise team come back up here? Let's sing that last song together. Well, actually, let's sing The King is Among Us.
We're going to sing this song and worship together. And I'm believing as we sing this song together and we worship together, just between you and God, let's pray. Let's believe God's going to pour.